Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Thank you. 
Okay, let's uh, put on a couple more songs while we are waiting for people to connect to the broadcast. Now, for uh, if you are listening or will be listening, um, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to be reading uh, again from the book of Esther from the Alpha and Omega Bible after the sermon. So if you want to have the Alpha and Omega Bible available for you, the Old Testament volume, then that will be very useful for you at the end of the sermon. Uh, I will be reading from the New American Standard during the sermon. So we'll play maybe one song, maybe two songs, while we wait for people to show up, and then we will pray and have the sermon. Thank you for listening to the live Seventh-day services of I Saw the Light Ministry.
Heavenly Father, we praise and worship you. Thank you, Father, for reminding us that it's not only about knowing and having knowledge, but also to remember you, to think upon you, to put our hearts and our minds and our attention upon you, to praise you and to worship you, to glorify you, Lord, to lift you up, for you are worthy of all of our worship, all of our praise, and all of our attention. We ask you, Lord, to help us to remember to do that in the midnight hour. Help us, Lord, to remember that when we are bound, distressed, and afflicted, to put our minds upon you, your glory, your goodness, your faithfulness, your promises, your ability, your power, your glory. Praise your holy name. We ask, Lord, that you help us, Lord, to understand who we are in you, what you have called us for, and to fulfill our callings. We ask you, Lord, that your will be done in us, that your light shine in us and through us for your glory. We ask, Lord, for your special blessing on this service. Help us to hear and understand your will, your voice, and your spirit. Thy will be done in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're going to be starting in Romans chapter 12 here in a minute, Romans 12. And for the record, today's date in the Western calendar is, or the Roman Catholic calendar that the Western nations use, is March 18th, 2017 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In God's created calendar, it is the 20th day of the 12th month. 20th day of the 12th month, so this year is about over with. And today's topic is good pride. Good pride. We have always been taught, all of our lives, the evil pride. We've all been taught all about the evils of pride. We know that there is an evil pride. But a lot of people do not understand that there is also a good pride. People tend to, religious people, tend to become focused on just negative things. People tend to become focused only on the bad pride and are not aware of the verses that talk about good pride and the need for good pride and the value of good pride. 
and they don't know what the difference is. So today we will talk about the differences and the value of good pride and the scriptures that are much neglected and ignored in the church world. Amen. And before we start reading these scriptures, I can basically very briefly say that the difference is that bad pride, evil pride, is puffed up pride. We are heading up to the days of Passover and unleavened bread. And part of preparing for Passover and unleavened bread is examining ourselves and ridding ourselves of puffed upness, of wrongful pride, ridding ourselves of vanity, of puffed up pride, of evil pride, examining ourselves, our doctrines, our beliefs, our life, our heart, our mind, our actions, our words, in every way, examining ourself as we head toward Passover and days of unleavened bread. This is so much more than just eating bread and sipping wine. This is examining ourselves. And whether we are in the faith, where we are in the Lord and where we need to be, where we are prepared to where we need to be. And are we truly saved? And even if we are truly saved, are we maturing enough? Are we growing enough? Have we grown enough? Why have we not grown enough? Why have we been hindered in our maturity and in our spiritual growth and our spiritual obedience? So there's many questions to ask ourselves and to be seeking about. But the difference between good pride and evil pride is that evil pride is a puffed up pride. It is being arrogant. Good pride is not being arrogant. Good pride is not being puffed up. Evil pride is being self-conceited. Good pride is not being self-conceited. Evil pride is when something is going to your head. It can be called having a haughty mind going to your head, a haughty mind, a high mind, high-mindedness, proudfulness. But these are not so with good pride. Good pride has good fruit and is for good intent, good purpose, and not evil. You can tell a lot of things, whether something is good or bad, by the fruit of it. So evil pride will have an evil fruit, a bad fruit. Good pride will have good fruit, good results. Among the different types of evil pride is the pride of sin, such as gay pride. That's an evil pride. It is the proudness of their sin. It is arrogance against God. It's exalting themselves against the will of God, exalting their own will against the will of God exalting their own knowledge, what they think is right and wrong, against what God says is right or wrong. Pride of sin is evil. But good pride 
is the acknowledgement of truth. Good pride is the acknowledgement of truth with right intent, intent, good intent, good source, and good result, good fruit. The acknowledgement of truth in self or others is there's nothing wrong with acknowledging the truth in oneself as long as you're not being arrogant about it, self-conceited about it, faulty about it, high-minded about it. So a lot of this also has to do with magnitude, the level of pride. You can feel good about yourself. You can and should feel good about yourself. But when it comes to a certain level, a certain magnitude, then it goes to your head. It goes beyond the appropriate limits. It goes too far. So it has to do a lot of times with magnitude or level of pride. But a little bit of pride is healthy, but a lot of pride is high-mindedness. Bad pride is also vanity. In love with yourself. A bad love. There's the gay love, which is not true love. It's a bad love. It's lust. Bad pride is lust. Bad pride is self-lust. Good pride is just healthy, good self-acknowledgement or the good acknowledgement of others. The evil pride is lust of oneself or another, but mostly of self. Whereas good pride can be just a healthy amount of acknowledgement of truth in self or others. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, see what the scriptures say about these things. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, I mean to the church in Rome, talking to the good church in Rome, talking to the true followers of Jesus Christ in Rome in his day and in his time. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That means that we should live for God. Recognize that the whole purpose of our existence is because God created us. That we live to serve God. That is the duty of man. And all that we do, we do for the glory of God. We present ourselves, should be presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, even though the Bible does talk about us crucifying ourselves, being crucified in the Lord, we are also supposed to come alive, be resurrected with him as well. Amen. But a lot of 
false religion wants you to be crucified and stay dead. If you think about it, this is the God's honest truth. There are a lot of Christians, so-called Christians, actually religious people, who are so intent on keeping you dead, pressed down, buried and crucified, that don't want you to live because of every, every hint that you are acknowledging the truth about who you are and your calling and how much God loves you and the success that you're having or whatever, they want to knock you down. And they will falsely accuse you of having evil pride because they are arrogant or actually they are ignorant of the scriptures that there is such a thing as good self-acknowledgement, good pride, as well as the evil pride. Again, people become so legalistic and so focused on the letter of the law that they forget about the spirit of the law and they forget about other verses that are well neglected. That we are to be a living sacrifice, not dead people, but living, a living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God, it says here, which is your spiritual service of worship. We need to remember to worship God. The whole purpose of having a seventh day is worship. The Ten Commandments tell us how how to show your love toward God and fellow mankind. When you show love to God, you worship God. We keep the seventh day not only so that we can rest, but more so as a special appointed time to worship him. Even though we do worship him every day and throughout the week, it is needful to have appointed time to say, I'm going to set aside everything else and I am going to put God first in this day. I'm going to acknowledge God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to hear his word. I'm going to read his word and I'm going to have more time focused on the Lord. That is what the seventh day and all the holy days is about. And this is our reasonable service of worship to the Lord. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We must all change our way of thinking, what we like. Everything about ourselves in some way or another needs to change after we get saved. We cannot say that we are truly saved if we have not changed, if we are not a different person than what we were before we supposedly got saved. If we are saved, God will change your life. Your way of thinking will change more and more and more and more and more and more as you get older and older and older and more and more mature in the Lord, you will continue to be changed. 
20 years down the line, even 10 years down the line, you will be able to look back and say, I am a different person than what I was 10 years ago if you are truly saved. But if you cannot say that, then I encourage you to take these next few weeks leading to Passover to dig deeper and examine why you cannot make that statement truthfully, that you are a different person than you was. That we are to be transformed, it says in verse 2, by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The perfect will of God is what we are going for. It's not enough to just pass the grade. I don't want to just pass the grade anymore. I want to get past the elementary things and go to the college of God. In other words, I want a higher grade, a higher level of approval of God. I don't just want salvation anymore. Now, I want to be more than pleasing to God. I want God to say to me, well done. Well done. Not just you passed, you made it in. But well done, my faithful servant. God will exalt us. God will exalt us. And that's a good thing. And verse 3 says, And though, or through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more. I really encourage you to underline that word, more. Not to think more highly of himself than he ought to. I encourage you to underline the words, he ought to think. But to think so as to have sound judgment. I encourage you to underline the word sound judgment. This verse is used constantly to press us down, to hinder us, and to say you are not to have any pride, but you have to humble yourself down to the dirt and down with the maggots of the ground. But there is something in this verse that I told you to underline that everybody neglects. If it says that I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to, then there is also a certain level, a sound judgment level, the right magnitude, the right level of what we ought to think of ourselves. But we should not think of ourselves more than what we should. But there is a certain level of which we should think of ourselves. We should not think of ourselves as unworthy. We was unworthy when we was living in sin, when we were dirty, when we were filthy, when we were stinking with sin, and we were arrogant and ignorant and nasty. 
then we were not worthy. But after we surrendered to God and became a living and holy sacrifice, we are a worthy. We become, we change into a worthy sacrifice. Don't ever present an unworthy sacrifice to God. Don't ever present an unworthy sacrifice to God. People think that they can worship God with filthiness, with a dirty heart, with a dirty mouth, with unclean hands, dirty lives, filthy lives. But we should be a living and holy sacrifice. And when we are lifted up, caught up into the sky to meet the Lord, Let us be lifted up as acceptable sacrifice, but more than acceptable, but pleasing and worthy. We're going to read some verses about being worthy and that we should be worthy and that we should realize that we are worthy and that we should realize that Others are worthy. And there's nothing wrong with having a sound judgment. Sound judgment in this verse is opposite of a haughty mind, an arrogant mind. This sound judgment talks about magnitude of judgment. But it's not just a judgment of others, it's a judgment of yourself is exactly what it is. And it says then, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, and since we have gifts that different according to the grace given to us. And then notice there there's a whole sentence, not a whole sentence, but several, several, several words that are in italics, which means that was inserted for our understanding. Then it says, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. There are proportions, different magnitudes of faith, of gifts, of measure of the Spirit, and so forth. But, going back to verse 3, we should have a sound judgment according to what level that God has truly given us. In other words, if we just have one prophetic dream in our lives. You live, say, a hundred years and you have one prophetic dream and one vision and God doesn't give you great revelation of prophecy other than that. Then how can you say you have the gift of prophecy but yet people will jump 
to an unsound conclusion, an unsound judgment, magnify themselves, exalt themselves above measure more than what they ought to, and say and proclaim, I'm a prophet. Hey, I'm a prophet. Because God gave them one dream or one revelation in their life. So they became self-conceited, because self-conceited and became a haughty mind and so forth. Same thing with all the other uh, uh, gifts, speaking in tongues and so forth. People will say, well, I spoke in tongues one time. And then they'll say, God gave me the gift of tongues. And that wouldn't be true if you only spoke in tongues only one time. You can, you can be endowed with a spiritual function for a moment doesn't mean that you have the gift of that. God can operate in us in times of his choosing without actually giving us that gift. But if you do have one of these gifts, if you do have the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues or uh, the gift of a great measure of faith or the gift of healing or office of prophet or office of apostle or office of pastor or whatever and so on, so on, so on, so on, so on. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that you have one of these gifts or one of these offices. Nothing wrong with it. For God did ordain these gifts, give these gifts, and appoint these offices. But yet people will try to crucify you and stone you if you dare say that you are a prophet, that you are an apostle, or you do have the gift of healing, or that you are a prayer warrior, or that you are a servant of God, so on, so on, so on. They want to stone you, crucify you, and make you worthless. They think that you are opposed to always humble yourself to the extent of a maggot rather than as a citizen of the kingdom and a son or daughter of God. Because the devil does not want you to know who you are. The devil does not want you to acknowledge who you are. The devil does not want you to be strong and bold and confident that wants you to be pressed down. Amen. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 8. And we will also look at another verse where people will use among many, many, many verses Matthew chapter 8, people use this verse to say that there's no such thing as a good pride, that you should never, ever, ever exalt yourself to any extent whatsoever at all, not even just a tiny, 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 tiny little bit. You should never acknowledge yourself or think good about yourself. And people would say that there is no good people, no good thing that you can do. People would take Bible verses and twist it to say that you cannot do any good thing and there is no good people. I've heard that talked on the Internet, and that has become a very, very popular doctrine. 
The devil wants you the devil wants you to think you're still filthy. That you're not a good person, you can't do any good thing. The devil wants you to think that. So they all also use Matthew eight, verse eight. But the Saturian said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, my servant will be healed. Yes, the man said that he wasn't worthy. But that, does that mean that we should not be worthy and that we cannot be worthy? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It was just a, simply a case of a man humbling himself in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. This man knew that Jesus was God because he said, all you have to do is speak, even though you're not even present where that sick person is. But all you have to do is speak. It will be done. That man knew that Jesus was more than a prophet or a man. He knew that Jesus was the one that spoke creation into existence. All he had to do was speak. But people would twist these words to prove that you cannot be worthy. Look at chapter 10, verse 11. Matthew 10, verse 11. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and say and stay at his house until you leave that city. Verse 13, and if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. So Jesus was telling the disciples to judge these people. To judge, not not to judge, but rather to judge these people. To make a discernment, to make a determination, to make a judgment about these people. And see if they were worthy. And only if these people were found worthy to continue to minister to them and stay in their house. But if not... Don't stay and keep, 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 keep trying to convert them. Don't waste your time on them. And don't stay in that filthy house. But rather, leave that person who is not worthy and remove your blessing and your peace from those people and shake the dust, the ashes of them, off your feet. Their ashes that shall be the ashes... Malachi 4 says that, uh, that uh, they, that the wicked shall be ashes under your feet, under the soles of your feet in the day that I should do this. So very clearly, God is looking for people who are worthy and can be worthy. And the disciples were to look for people that were worthy and knowledge that they were worthy. 
to acknowledge that they were worthy. Look at verse 37. Matthew 10, verse 37. He who, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's a bad thing, to not be worthy of God. But people are constantly, constantly saying, I'm not worthy of salvation. I'm not worthy of the Lord. I'm not worthy of the kingdom. I'm not worthy of a crown. I'm not worthy of deliverance or this or that or this or answered prayer or anything. People are constantly saying that they are not worthy. And that is doing spiritual warfare against yourself. That is stabbing yourself. Stabbing yourself when you say such things. For he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So he does ask a lot of us. And see, Babylon claims that he does not ask much from us. Come as you are. Come filthy. Come dirty. Well, you come filthy in order to get clean. Amen. You don't come to stay as you are. But Babylon wants you to stay as you are and to stay unworthy. And God does ask a lot of us. He asks us to surrender our life. Yes, he does. God expects a lot. Contrary to popular belief, that he doesn't require anything but one prayer and belief. Verse 39, he who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake, he will find it. Look at chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse 8. Matthew 22, verse 8. Then he said to his slaves or his servants, the wedding is ready. The marriage feast, the marriage wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Some people were invited to the wedding feast, but when they stand before the Lord, God would tell them, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Some will not be found worthy. We can become worthy. We were not worthy. We were not a people. We were not holy. But now, through the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ, 
through his blood, his body, through communion with him, through coming to really know him by digging deep, by surrendering, surrendering our lives, by sacrificing who we used to be. We can become alive in him and be, and we better be found worthy on judgment day. God will make a judgment about us, even as the disciples make judgments about where they minister at, who they minister to. Even as you make judgments about who, who, who to minister to and who not to minister to, God will also make a judgment about who to accept in his house, into his kingdom, into his presence. And we better be found worthy. And what's wrong with acknowledging that we are worthy? If you don't acknowledge that you are worthy, then in fact you're not worthy because you can't even say that you are worthy proves that you're not worthy. If you're going to be a manager, you've got to say you're a manager. If you're the president of the United States, you've got to say you're the president of the United States. If you're a manager of a restaurant or a business or a store, you've got to say that you're the manager of it or else you're not worthy of that position. And if you're going to be a saint of God, you've got to say that you're a saint of God. Proclaim it. I know a man one time that stood against temptation and attack against him by proclaiming who he was in the Lord. As the tempter came face to face with him, the man's, the Christian, the saint's first words to the devil were, I am a man of God. And that told the devil right then and there who he was dealing with. He was dealing with a soldier of the Lord, a man of God, a man that will not fall to this temptation, a man that will not even consider this temptation. I am a man of God. I will not fall this temptation. About what good is a person if they will not acknowledge who they are in the Lord? Amen. Praise God. We need to be found worthy. And let's go to book of Luke, chapter 20, Luke, chapter 20, verse 35, Luke 20, verse 
that those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection of the dead neither marry or gave it in marriage because they had asked the question of Jesus, you know, if we're married multiple times, which one are we going to be married to? And Jesus' answer was basically that you're not going to be sexual creatures in the kingdom. It's basically, in much different words, what Jesus is trying to relate to these people is you're not going to be like uh, the male and female anymore. You're not going to be sexual creatures anymore and worrying about marriages and stuff like that other than the marriage of the Lord. Amen. All these things in this present life were foreshadowings and, and lessons we're learning for the ultimate life with the Lord. So all these foreshadowings would be done away with then. Because we'll be in the fullness of the Lord then. We'll no longer need the husband and wife and children <coughs> symbolism that we're going through right now. But it says that those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, that maturity of being resurrected. Now we're all going to be resurrected each one in his own order. We're all going to be resurrected, but he's talking about the first resurrection, that uh, reaching that maturity. So a lot of people think as long as you pray and you get saved, you're going to be in that first resurrection, and that's not necessarily so. You can actually become a good Christian and still not make it in that first resurrection. Because the only ones that will enter the first resurrection will those will be those, only those, who are mature enough, mature enough at that time, at that season, to be picked. Because it's a harvest. And if you're not ripe enough, if you're not mature enough, if you are not a mature spiritual age yet, even though you're truly saved, truly saved, Truly in the Lord, but not mature enough yet, then you will have to go kind of like having to repeat a grade in school. You have to go to the second resurrection. Not meaning, not meaning that you are uh, not saved, but just not ready. Because it is a process that we're going through, represented by the seven days of unleavened bread. It's not enough just to take the Passover. It's not enough just that God did commit that sacrifice for you, that he is the Passover. That's not enough, even though Babylon says that's enough. Jesus died for your sins. That's it, period. Well, that's not enough. Because after he died for your sins, and then he hands you the baton and says, okay, I started the race. I have sat down now. But now it's your turn to run the race. It's your turn to purify yourself, to overcome the devil, to run the race, to do your part of the job, and to finish the race. 
The rest is up to you. We have got to run the race now. Amen. And so we go past Passover and go into the seven days of unleavened bread, representing that, yeah, on Passover day, we took the communion, we accepted the sacrifice of the Lord, but now, for the rest of our lives, for the rest of human history, we will have to remove the leavening from our own lives. We have to go through our own closets, through our own uh, uh, kitchen and uh, cupboards, and dig out the leavening, and throw out the leavening ourselves. He gave us the knowledge of the leavening. He gave us the instructions. He gave us the encouragement and the commandment, the reason for all of it. But now it's our turn and continue that unleavening process all the rest of our lives until we get to that seventh trumpet. And if we are ready and if we are found without leavening of any kind. But see, if you are not mature enough yet spiritually, you will have leavening. You will. Even if you are truly saved, you will have leavening if you are not fully, fully, fully mature enough to be turned to spirit yet. Because in maturity, in the Lord spiritually, if you are 50 years old in the Lord, meaning you've been saved for 50 years, truly saved for 50 years, and you're still spiritually immature in the Lord, that in itself is leavening. That in itself is sin. Because we're supposed to be be removing sin and, and leavening every year, continually growing step by step, year after year continually, continually, continually growing in the spirit and the will and the measure of the spirit in the Lord. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. Luke 3, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Alpha Omega Bible says the holy breath descended upon him in bodily form like, looking like, uh, no, not looking like, but descending like in the manner manner that a dove would descend. See, John the baptizer did not see a dove, and he did not see God in the form or the shape or the image of a dove, contrary to popular beliefs. But, rather, even though it says bodily form here, I believe that is a very, very, very poor translation. I believe that it is only in the mannerism, mannerism of how the Holy Spirit descended upon uh, Jesus. And it says here, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son. In you, 
I am well pleased. Not just pleased, but well pleased. And the father acknowledged his son and told his son, basically, I am proud of you. And that is one of the several different ways that we should have, should have good pride. We should have pride of our children if they are worthy of that pride. Of course, you can't be proud of a child that is wayward, that is sinful, that is evil. But if that child is worthy, then you are proud of them, of their accomplishments. And that has no evil fruit, evil heart, evil intent, evil source. It's not being arrogant. It's not being haughty in mind. It's not vanity. It is a good pride. And the father was proudful of his son, Jesus, meaning that he put part of himself, not another person, but he put part of himself, a small measure of himself, into Mary. And that part that mixed with the blood of mankind and was in the graven image of man was the Son of God and the Son of Man. But he was still himself. He was still God in the flesh. But the Father was proud of the Son, well pleased. And I can know about the Son. And I go to the next verse of but before we go to the next verse, I will repeat this because it's very important or expound upon this. That children and husbands and wives and friends, they need to hear the words, I am proud of you. Your husband, your wife, your children, your friends, they need to hear those words. I am proud of you. Those words come out of love, sincerity, kindness, gentleness. It does not come from the source of evil. We'll go to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 7. 2 Corinthians, chapter 7. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. That's something you won't hear in the Babylonian church very much because they expect God to do everything and nothing that you don't, you don't have to do anything. But let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, perfecting it, 
Oh, but you can't be perfect, they say. Well, if you perfect holiness, you're going to be perfect. You will. And you will become without sin. If you become fully mature, ready to be picked, ripe, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord, of God. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. We are with you. When you mourn, we mourn. When you rejoice, we rejoice. We are together. We stand with you. Verse 4, great is my confidence in you. Let's repeat that, verse 4. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. The Revised Standard Version uses the words that I have great pride in you. Revised Standard Version, RSV. I have great pride in you when it says, great is in my confidence in you. This is Paul speaking to the Church of Corinthians, Church of Corinth, and it's not talking about an evil pride, but he is acknowledging his spiritual children. He's acknowledging to people and giving people encouragement of the truth in themselves Acknowledgement, appropriate, sound acknowledgement. There's nothing wrong with appropriate, true, sound acknowledgement. This is good pride. Being proud of someone for what they have accomplished in the Lord. Look at chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Chapter 5, 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men that we are made manifest to God. I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again convening ourselves to you, but are giving you occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. So some people have the evil pride of only appearance, of vanity, or just outwardly, of outward things, being powerful of outward things. But it was needful that the people have a deep pride, an inward pride, and of of Paul's accomplishments and of the true apostles and the true disciples and the true servants of the Lord, that they were sincere deep down and not superficially as well. 
It goes both ways. They need to be true. We need to be true. Both of us deep down and not just outwardly. And being able to acknowledge the truth, acknowledge good pride is the acknowledgement of truth with sound judgment. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, verse 1. Galatians is right after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone, or fulfill is like obeying the law of Christ, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must acknowledge, I mean, examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. So people would take the one verse, verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, and then they leave out Verse 4. They leave out verse 4. Amen? They take verse 3 out of context to teach you that you are nothing. That you are not nothing. You are not nothing in the Lord. Verse 4 again. That each one must examine his own work. What have you done for the Lord? What have you done on your work site? What have you done in your family? What have you done for your friends? Different things. You can do good works. You can. You can be a good person. You can do good works. And we are called to do good works. The Bible says that we are called unto good works. Each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason a sound reason, a sound judgment based upon truth for boasting in regard to himself. Now, if you are nothing and you claim you are something, then that's wrong. But you are not nothing. You are the servant of the Most High God. You are the daughter of God. You are the son of God. You are the friend of God. You are the soldier of the Lord. You are more than something. You are a holy people. You are a holy priesthood. You are a peculiar nation. You are special. That word peculiar really does not mean strange. It means special. Amen. You are the apple 
of his eye. Amen. You are worthy. Amen. And let's look at Philippians chapter 1. Over to the right, just a few pages, right after Ephesians. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, verse 25. Philippians 1, verse 25. To the answer of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all uh, with you all for your progress. I think Paul's a Southern because he's saying I can continue with you all, y'all, and for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound, not lower, not go lower, not re- be reduced, but may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. There is a good pride. There is a good pride in addition to evil pride. It's good to have confidence. It's good to have uh, confidence. It's good to have uh, self-esteem, dignity, Self-respect, honor toward others, honor toward others. Good pride is related when it's, especially when it's talking about pride of toward other people, is related to honor. Being proud of someone, showing them honor, having honor for them. So in this sense, that it was proud of Paul, that it had honor and respect toward Paul. And that is not evil. The Bible says about ministers that do well, that in the Lord, that they are worthy of double honor. Talking about both respect and Tides is exactly what that's talking about of double honor. Um, let's go to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy. Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7. And we're going to see also that it's also okay to have national pride because a lot of people in this day and time are starting to believe or have been believing for quite a while now that we should not have any kind of a national pride. And this is also directly related to uh, that it's okay to have a certain amount of good pride or self-confidence or self-esteem or self-dignity and self-respect and acknowledgement of the truth and who we are in, in God of not only uh, 
what nation you live in, but also what nation you came from, what bloodline you came from, regardless of whether it's Israelite or not, and that you're a Christian, that you are a Christian. You can be proud of that. You should be proud of that. And that's not an evil pride. It's a good pride. The gay people, the homosexual people, the Solomonites, are proudful of their sin. There is nothing wrong with us having a good, respectable pride that we serve the Lord. We're proud of our king. We're proud of our kingdom. We're proud of our laws. And we're proud of, in a good way, of what we have accomplished and how far we have come. We should give ourselves a pat on the back every now and then rather than always beating ourselves up. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are uh, a filthy, no good, worthless people. No, that's not what it says. But verse 6 says... For you are a holy people. You're a special people. A good people. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now God is talking about the Israelites. But according to the Bible, regardless of your bloodline, once you get saved, you are a spiritual Jew and a spiritual Israelite through Jesus Christ. If you're truly saved and have his spirit, his ghost living inside you, because he died, but he's still alive. And so his ghost living inside of you. You're a citizen of the kingdom. And it's okay to have a healthy, respectful, self-dignity, self-respect, acknowledgement in the Lord that you are special to him, that you're a citizen of a high kingdom, you have a high calling, and you are no longer a maggot. You're no longer a dog. You're no longer filthy. You're no longer worthless that you are special to the Lord and a citizen and a son or daughter of the God Almighty. Amen. And God has chosen you. Out of all the people of the earth, spiritually speaking, out of all the people on the earth, even outside the Israelite and the bloodline context, the world is sealed with unworthy, filthy people. But you're not one of them. The world is filled with unworthy, filthy people. But you are not one of them. You're chosen. You're picked out. You're separate. Come out from among them and touch not the unclean. Be my people. 
Be my people, say of the Lord. Be my peculiar people, my special nation, my chosen ones, the apple of my eye. You are something, and you are more than something. You are a fan of God. No longer servants, but a friend of God. That is something. That is something. Amen. That is something. Praise God. Look at Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah is close to the end of the Old Testament. Zach. Hey, Zach. How you doing? Zach chapter 2, verse 6. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6. And that's right before Malachi. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. This is in the context of the end time when the Assyrian Antichrist, the Assyrian Antichrist, Gog and Magog war, the Great Tribulation, World War III, will have dispersed his people across the world. Flee from the land of the north. Flee from the captivity from the northern nation of Syria, Russia. Declares the Lord, for I have dispensed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Ho, Zion, you Israelites, spiritual and physical both, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. Come out of false religion, and the Lord is coming for his people, his nation. He will deliver us from our captivity. He will deliver us from false religion and false uh, shepherds. He will deliver us from our oppressors. He will deliver us from the Assyrian. He will deliver us when he comes. Escape. You who are living with the daughter of Babylon, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, verse 8, after glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. You are his anointed. Touch not my anointed. He who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And the apple of his eye talks about the pupil of your eye. It's the apple of your eye, the center of his eye. Amen. He who touches you is not touching a maggot or a mangy dog. He that touches you is touching the property of the Most High God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Verse 9, For behold, 
I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plundered for their slaves. Then you would know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations would join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Not someone else's people, but his people. The property of the Lord, the servants of the Lord, the children of the Lord, his inheritance. That's who you are. You are his inheritance. God is not after gold and silver and money. He's after people. He's fishing for men. You are his gold. You are his treasure. You are his inheritance. The children of God. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah, Judah and his portion in the Holy Land, and will again, will again choose Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Not Tyran, not Mecca, not Moscow. Not New York, not Washington, D.C., but God will choose Jerusalem. Jerusalem is special, and so is the inhabitants thereof, contrary to popular Internet doctrine of hate and anti-Semitism. God chose the Zionists. God chose the Jews. God chose the Israelites. But you are grafted into the family of the Jews and Israelites if you have the spirit of the Jewish God. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about who God is. I'm not talking about customs and traditions and language. Well, a little bit of language, yes, I am. For he will restore a pure language, the Bible says. Language is important to him. And we will eventually speak one tongue. We will. For Babylon separated us. The Babylonian tongues did separate us because the people were proudful, arrogant, and was trying to lift themselves up into our space and that tire of Babylon, which I don't for a second believe was only a skyscraper. Not for a second. But mankind is trying to lift himself up into the universe, magnify themselves and make them a name in the universe as they still are today and still getting knocked down by God. But God chose Jerusalem. But you not being a town, not being a city, but a citizen of that town spiritually, worldwide, a citizen of Jerusalem. If you are a spiritual Jew, if you are a spiritual Israelite, meaning you're saved, then you are a citizen of Jerusalem. And you will be a citizen of Jerusalem. 500 miles, ain't it, or 1,500 miles, whatever it is, long and high and wide, Amen. Praise God. Look at the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. Over there, close to the book of Revelation, 
before 1, 2, and 3, John. 1 Peter chapter 2. Make sure you're in 1 Peter and not 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. One Peter two verse nine. One Peter two verse nine. That you are a chosen race. They're talking about all Israelites of all colors, of all bloodlines. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We become one race. We're becoming unified. We'll no longer be separate by lineages or colors. Once we are spirit, we are not married or given in marriage. We're not be sexual people. We won't have skin. We won't have DNA once we are spirit. And we are spirit now and not in the flesh if the spirit of God dwell in you. You are not black and white, yellow and red. But you are a citizen of Jerusalem. You are a spiritual Jew. You are belonging to the kingdom of God, a chosen race. A royal, royalty. You are royalty. Amen. You are royalty. A royal priesthood. You are saint. Or you need to become one at least. A holy nation. Not a filthy nation. Not an unworthy nation. Not a halfway nation. But a holy nation. A people. You was once not a people, but now you are a people a people for God's own possession, his inheritance, his own possession, property of the Lord, so that you may proclaim, not, not, not keep your mouth shut, not be fearful that it's pride, that it's a wrong pride, but in the right way, with sound judgment, acknowledging the truth of who you are in the Lord, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now transformed, renewed by the renewing of your mind, that now you are, 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 are the, the people of God, not of the devil, but of God. For you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How many of you want to just dance right now? How many of you just want to praise God right now? How many of you can unbuckle your seatbelts right now? <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise God. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers basically of this world to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. We are in a war. And there is certain things we must do and not do, and we must not touch the unclean. Amen. For they war against our soul. Verse 12, keep your behavior excellent. Keep your behavior excellent. Among the Gentiles, meaning 
upon the lost people that are looking at you. For you you are a walking billboard for the Lord. What they see in you represents the entire church and the entire kingdom and God himself because they look upon you and say, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of the Lord. Or I don't want to be a hypocrite and I don't want to go to church. I don't want to serve the Lord and I don't believe in God because if that is what a Christian is, I do not want to be there. We are a walking billboard for the Lord. And we are to keep our behavior excellent. Not just a B or C or D or E or F on your grade level of how you are performing and behaving. But we want an A plus and not just an A. Uh, A plus, excellent, among the Gentiles, among the world, among the lost, so that in the thing in which you slander, they slander you, and they will slander you no matter what, but, but, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, that they may, because of your good deeds, and, and you are called unto good works, the Bible says you are called unto good works, contrary to what the churches of the world teach you. But because of your good works, because of your good deeds, that as they observe them, as they see what you're doing, your behavior, your works, your actions, will glorify God in the day of visitation. That when God comes knocking on the door, when God comes through those clouds, when God comes to the earth, when God calls his people, when that trumpet blows, that you will be found worthy. That you will be in proper marriage attire. The white, clean linen of the saints of God, which is the righteousness of God, the righteousness of the saints, pressed without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Now, in the days leading up to Passover, is a time to wash your robe in the blood of Jesus Christ and say, I will not touch the unclean again. I will not allow the spot to come upon me. I will fight off the dust of the earth. I will fight off the ashes and the dust of the earth. I will fight off the evil things that would pollute me. I will abstain from the fleshly lust. I will abstain from the temptation, and I will say, to the tempter when he comes, I will say, I am a servant of the Lord Most High. I will draw near into the Lord, and the devil will flee. Amen. Praise God. Acknowledge who you are. It is not wrongful pride to take acknowledgement in who you are in the Lord. It is not wrongful pride to say that you are, if you are, if you are, if it be true, that you are an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, a teacher, a prayer warrior, a saint of God. It's not wrong to say you're a saint of God. If you are a saint of God, you better proclaim it, claim it, seize onto it. The devil try to steal it from you and try to falsely accuse you of wrongful pride. 
but become who you are. Claim your calling and live your calling. And don't be guilty of the things which they falsely accuse you of. Don't be guilty of the things they accuse you of. Live clean unto the Lord. Time is short. Time is short. Much, much, much shorter than what most people understand coming here. Time is short. We are to be found ready. Ready. Amen. Praise God. We are a royal priesthood. And let's go to Genesis chapter 1. I believe that's probably the last verse. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Last verse of Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 31. God saw, God is looking, and he saw all, all that he had made. And there is nothing that was made that was not made by Jesus Christ, according to what the Bible says in Galatians, I mean uh, Colossians. And John chapter 1. But here it says, God saw that he had made what he had made, and behold, it was not just good, not just a C or B or A, but what God had made was very good. It was excellent. God did good work, and he made a self-acknowledgement that it was good. There's nothing wrong about making self-acknowledgement of what is true, and good, and acceptable to the Lord. Some examples of good pride is a work ethic. And I believe that we all need that. To have the good pride of having a good work ethic, which is that you take pride in your work, that you do not want the end result of your work to be faulty but rather good, excellent, that it will pass a grade and even more than pass a grade. When I used to work in the restaurants and stores, grocery stores, convenience stores, I worked myself to the death. i tell you what. Because even though I might have been making, at times, just minimum wage way back then when it was much lower, even though I didn't even have a health plan at that time or a retirement plan at that time or this or that or this or that benefit, even though I was the lowest on the, on the pole of the employment, I would work like I was making a million dollars an hour. I worked hard because I was raised to have a good, more than good, an excellent work ethic, to take pride in my work, to work hard, that was instilled in me from a young age. I praise God for that. Thank God for that. Because a lot of people don't have that, especially in this day and time. But we need a good work ethic to be able to stand back and say that you did good. But 
acknowledge God, praise God, and thank God for that, that God gave you that skill, that God gave you that strength, that God gave you that ability, that God gave this, that God ordained this, that God allotted this, giving God the glory for it, but also taking your own credit as well. Not saying that you're a magnet, that you're a maggot, that you're a dog, that you're worthless, that you ain't nothing. Not saying those things, but taking right, sound judgment, right and sound acknowledgement of the truth of where God has brought you, what God did in you, what God accomplished in you. It's the right balance. The right balance. We all need a good work ethic. Another good, good pride is cleanliness, being clean, being clean people about our house, having a clean house, taking pride in uh, a good pride, not wrongful pride, in being clean. Or there is a saying, it's not in the Bible, but there's a saying that cleanliness is next to godliness. Because the Bible does talk many, many, many times about purity, cleanliness, being washed, clean, spotless. So it is next to godliness, even if it's not in the Bible. It's still true. Amen. And the good pride of being clean is self-respect and dignity. These are good senses of good pride. Decency and dignity and self-respect. I've known a lot of people in my life that physically were very, very, very dirty, filthy, stinking people. But I still loved them. I did. Very, 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 very much so. I've had some really, really good friends that that just, that's the way that they were, were dirty, filthy, stinking people, physically. But in their hearts, they were really good people, really good people. But it is needful for all people to have a certain level of a good pride of self-esteem, self-dignity, self-respect to prevent that filthiness, to prevent that stink. And that works both spiritually and physically. That we need to have a certain level of good pride, of dignity, and self-respect. That we may smell good to the Lord and look good to the Lord. We need self-respect. But so many legalistic religious people out there these days are trying to oppress you and beat you down and tell you that you can never, ever make any acknowledgement of anything good you do. They falsely accuse you every time. They falsely accuse you of false pride when it's good and acceptable self-dignity and self-respect. And I give you some synonyms that will make it clear to you as well. A synonym, not everyone knows, is a word that means other words that make 
that have the same meaning. A synonym is another word that has the same meaning as that word. So another synonym for bad pride would be arrogant, arrogant, haughty, having a haughty mind, the Bible says, gone to his head, pushed up, self-conceited, vanity. Those are synonyms of bad pride. The synonyms of good pride is confidence, confidence, self-esteem, dignity, honor, decency, work ethic, value, and please, good pride. Nothing wrong with these things. Don't let people deceive you, press you down, and beat you up for the good things. You are worthy. You're worthy. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening to today's services. I do have just a few things I have to go over with you. Uh, last week, we was reading from the Old Testament Alpha and Omega Bible in the book of Esther, and I accidentally left out the very last paragraph, so I'd like to go over that with you. It's very important that I go over that with you. So if you have your copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible with you, for those of you that are not familiar with the Alpha and Omega Bible, it is a translation that I published of the Bible that is based on the oldest, most reliable manuscripts on earth of the Bible. And I had found myself in the sermons having to explain. Now, this word in the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic, that this word in this sentence is better translated in a certain translation, while the very next word or the very next verse is better translated in another translation. And that's confusing. And it's better for us to have a translation where all the words are more true to what they actually wrote. And a lot of people, the are King James-only people, will fight and resist that because they've been taught that the King James Version is 100% perfect to the original Hebrew and Greek tongues, which is impossible because it is very, very well-established fact, undeniable, undisputable fact, that the words, the Lord, in the Old Testament, where it says, the Lord, and where the Lord, the word Lord is all capital letters in the Old Testament, replaced the name of God. It did. You cannot dispute that. Look it up for yourself. If you do not believe me, do your own research. I encourage you to do your own research. So how can we say that the Old Testament King James Version, where it says the Lord, however, hundreds of times, is 100% true and accurate to the original Hebrew. It's not. The word the Lord replaced. 
They took out the name of God. They added in the word of the Lord. We cannot deny that. It is established fact. Nobody disputes it except for the people that are ignorant of these facts. So what is wrong with coming out with an accurate translation that removes the words that they added and bring back the words that they took out by looking at the oldest scrolls and codexes? What is wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. Amen? So the Alpha and Omega Bible restores the Scriptures. Even as the Bible was restored in just a few hundred years before Jesus came back, and he read from a Bible that had been restored as well, which people don't even tell you about, which is not the King James Bible. But let's go to look at Esther and the last paragraph of Esther. And I'm not trying to run an ad, but I'm just trying to help people that's never listened to us before to know that the Alpha and Omega Bible is available for free. And you can download it or order it on the Internet at the address of all uh, all one word, no spaces in between. The address is Alpha Omega Bible dot I saw the light ministry dot com. Again, the address is Alpha Omega Bible dot I saw the light ministry dot com. No spaces in between that. Now we're going to the last paragraph of Esther. Get my microphone back up here. And after chapter 10, you see three verses there. Then you see a great old big long paragraph between verse 3 and the book of Job. That big long paragraph was removed from the Bible. In almost every Bible that you would buy in the store today, every Bible in your house, almost Every Bible, every translation has been removed. So the Alpha and Omega Bible brings it back to the Scriptures as it was in the time of Jesus. And it says here, and Mordecai, Mordecai, Mordecai said, these things have been done of Theos, the Alpha and Omega. For I remember the dream which I had concerning these matters. He's referring back to chapter 1, verse 1, which was also left out of most Bibles. I remember the dream which I had concerning these matters. For not one, not one particular, particularity of them has failed. There was the little fountain that became a river, and there was a light and a sun and much water. The river is Hatasha what people call Esther. Then he goes on there, but I'm going to pause there for a second to explain. He says, Mordecai says the river in his dream that he had represents Atosh, Esther. 
But if you read right from chapter 1 to the end of the book of Esther, it's very clear. I mean, extremely, extremely clear that the river actually represented the tears of the people, that the people were crying, and the river became a great, or the tears, the small stream became a great river as the people cried and cried and fasted because they were facing, facing possible genocide. But then the river also is important at the end of time where Jesus himself is the water of life, the fountain of life, that he is the river of life. So those tears, weeping may endure for a night, but joy in the morning, those tears turn, those tears of sorrow turn into deliverance by the river of life, the fountain of life. So it becomes a representation of Jesus Christ in the end. But Mordecai was in the situation. A lot of times, people who are looking from the outside have a better discernment of the situation because the people inside the situation are too involved to see the whole picture. Just like a person that doesn't ever take a bath, doesn't ever take a shower, and they're filthy and stinking, they actually become so immune to their own body smell that they don't smell it at all. But a person outside of the situation looking and smelling the situation, they perceive the smell, they smell the smell. And it does stink to them. A person that's full of sin, they don't think they stink to the Lord. But the Lord, your sin stinks to the Lord. So Mordecai was in the situation, so he couldn't see from the outside the whole picture as much as we can today. We have all the Bible. He had only certain scriptures. But we have all the New Testament that's been written since then, explaining more about Jesus being the water of life and the river and everything. We have more information. And let's face the facts. Zechariah was a man of God. He didn't have the measure of the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ that we have today. Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Breath of God, in the Old Testament times, did not have the same effect as the Holy Ghost of the New Testament times, even though it's the same Spirit. Because God had not died for our sins yet. He had not brought the Comforter, the Advocate of the Holy Ghost yet to us. We have a greater ability in this day and time of a new covenant, being the church of God, not just the nation of God, being the church of God. We can see things more clear in the spiritual realm than they could back then. Amen. I do not condemn Mordecai for his false interpretation. He was a true man of God. Even as Peter got it wrong, when he had the dream in Acts chapter 10, where the net came down, actually, uh, yeah, it was a fishing net, 
but that's not what many translations say, but it's what Alpha and Omega Bible says. The vision that came down out of heaven, full of unclean, what supposedly, uh, what Peter thought was unclean animals. And the voice said to him, Arise, Peter, heal and eat. And Peter resisted and said, No, I will not eat these unclean animals. I have never done so. I won't. And the voice corrected him. Do not. The people, people resist this. But the voice corrected Peter. Said, do not call what I have cleansed unclean or calm. But Peter went about telling people, people that the dream only meant that God had cleansed the Gentiles, which was also true, but the dream was dual, which is true in many cases in the Bible, that things are dual and have more than one meaning. Yes, God cleansed the Gentiles. But Peter already had that pretty much taken care of in his life even before that chapter. He was staying with a tanner, a person that uh, skinned the animals, a taxidermist, which was considered unclean by the Jews. But he was living there. And he was living with Gentiles. And he was associating with Gentiles. And he was eating with Gentiles. He had already accepted friendship with the Gentiles. He had already accepted that. But God came in that dream to show something else to him. Not just that he had cleaned the Gentiles. Because God did not tell Peter, arise and kill and eat the Gentiles. Even though that's what the Hebrew root people and the Jewish people would have you to think God was saying. He was not telling people, Peter, rise, kill, and eat the Gentiles. The Bible says Peter was hungry. And, Paul, and, and God was telling Peter, you don't have to be hungry. Eat with your Gentile friend that you're staying with. Eat his food. And so Peter misinterpreted at least halfway not getting the full meaning, not the full correct meaning. Peter was not God. Mordecai was not God. Paul was not God. These were men of God. Men of God, women of God, true servants of God, truly saved people, they can make mistakes. Contrary to the oppressive theology of religion, of mankind, that says you can't make a mistake if you're a prophet. You can't make a mistake if you're an apostle. You can't make a mistake if you're a pastor. You can't make a mistake if you're a member. You can't make a mistake if you're a saint. You can't make a mistake ever because if you do, you're not saved. And you're out and they're out the door. They never come to your church again. They never talk to you again. They oppress you, cast you down, stone you because you're human. For the writers of the Bible were also human. And people think that every letter in the Bible is the Word of God. But the truth is, even though all Scripture was written for edification and is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction, not every letter in the whole Bible 
is the word of God. Some of it is the word of Mordecai. Some of it is the word of Paul. Even Paul himself said that. Paul said, not me, I mean, not the Lord, but I say this. He said that more than once. But people just ignore that and say ever, 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 ever letter in the Bible is the word of God. It contains the word of God, but it's also the word of Paul and Mordecai and Peter as well. So my point is that Mordecai's interpretation was not fully correct. And we keep reading here. It says the Reverend Tasha, which we know it's not. And it says, whom the king married and made queen, and the two servants are I and Haman. Well, that's not right. The two serpents in the dream represented, very, very, very clearly represented the two men who conspired to assassinate the king. That's very clear. I don't see how anybody could debate that. But Haman, was, I mean, uh, Mordecai was very close to the situation. And it's hard to always separate the flesh and the eye. About me is about me is about me. It's hard to do and hard to separate that. Even if you're truly saved, it's hard to always, 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 always to remove your own thoughts and your own opinions because the flesh is always at war against the spirit. But the two servants was not Mordecai and Haman, but it was the two men that conspired. And it says the nations are those nations that combined to destroy the name of the Jews. Well, that's true. We got that right. But he also did not understand, though, that it had a dual meaning, that it wasn't just the nations conspiring against the Jews at that time, but also the nations that are conspiring against the Israelites and the Jews and the 12 tribes of Israel and the Christians today in our time and in the Great Tribulation because it's all foreshadowing our time. All the Old Testament foreshadows our time much, much, much more than what people understand and realize. But they want to tear out the Old Testament and throw it away. So the Old Testament, even Esther, is so extremely important to our day and our time. It's very, very relevant. History is repeating itself, and the Bible is repeating itself. And everything in the Old Testament is foreshadowing our day, our time, and our future. We better be reading it. For all Scripture, including the Old Testament, was written was inspired, even though it included some words of Mordecai and Peter that was wrong and Paul, but it was inspired, the Bible in general and as a whole, talking about the original scriptures and not man's translations. And the only scripture that existed when that was written, when Paul wrote that, was the Old Testament. And people use that verse all scripture was inspired of God and not even realize that it's talking about the Old Testament because the Old Testament is the only scripture that existed when that was written. But yet they want you to destroy and throw away and ignore and deny all the Old Testament when that's exactly what that verse was talking about was the Old Testament. 
people don't think these things out and examine things for themselves. They just blindly follow the blind, the blind leaders of religion. And so the nations are those nations that combine to destroy the name of the Jews. That's for my nation, this is Israel. He was proud of Israel, a good pride, a good national pride. There is nothing wrong with saying, I am an American. It's who you are. It's true. And there's nothing wrong with being proud of your school, being proud of your family, being proud of your children, being proud of your God, being proud of your heritage, as long as you keep it in the right magnitude and not let it go to your head and let it not give you a haughty uh, vein, not give it vanity and so forth. It's all about magnitude in many of these cases. But he says, as for my nation, this is Israel. Even they that cried to Theos, Alpha and Omega, and were delivered. For the Lord delivered his people. And the Lord rescued us out of all these calamities. And Theos, Alpha and Omega, worked such signs and great wonders as have not been done among the nations. Therefore did he ordain two lots, one for the people of Theos and one for the other nations. And these two lots came for appointed season as and for a day of judgment before Theos and for all the nations. And Theos remembered his people, his inheritance, his people, and vindicated his inheritance. And they shall observe these days in the month Adar, on the 14th and 15th day of the month, which was just last week, with assembly gathering together and joy and gladness before Theos throughout the generations forever among his people Israel, which we are. Then it says in the fourth year of the reign of uh, Polias and Cleopatra, uh, Dostelius, who said he was a priest and Levite, and Paranoias, his son, brought this epistle of parent, which they said was the same, and that Lasmarius, the son of Paias, I can't say these words, that was in Jerusalem and had translated it, was translated from Hebrew to Greek around the year 114 B.C. So that very last sentence was, or that very last little segment there, of where it says the fourth year of the reign to the end of that sentence was later on inserted as a note <clears throat> saying that this has been translated and delivered to the people who are sharing it with you in the uh, language of the day and so forth. A very important note that was placed in there as well. All right, just a couple more things real, really, really quick is... Uh, sometime today or tomorrow I will try to get around to posting on the newsletter and on the website the recipe for unleavened bread that you can make at home for yourself because Passover is coming up in April, Passover and the days of unleavened bread. So I'll be posting a very special recipe that I believe that God really did uh, reveal to me because I was seeking because I don't want just to go along with how everybody else does it. And I don't want just to go along with what I was taught as a kid or from some website or from some person or from some pastor or from some religion or some denomination. I want to seek the Lord. 
what is his will? How does he want it to be done? I want to grow in my understanding. I want to grow in his will. I want to be more than pleasing to the Lord, more than passing the grade, but getting an A plus. Amen. So I was seeking the Lord about how to make this unleavened bread, and I believe that God did give me the scriptures, the verses, the understanding, and I will be writing about this. I've been meaning to write about it for days. I did not mean to lie to anyone, but things take time. And we still got, what, two, three, four weeks, whatever it is, to Passover. So let's not try to rush this thing. Let's uh, uh, seek God, serve God in sincerity and in truth, and I will try to post that information later today or tomorrow as soon as I'm able to get uh, to it. And Feast of Tabernacles coming up in October. I really, really encourage people to be thinking about, I know we're not even Passover yet, but Feast of Tabernacles is like, I think, less than six months or around six months. It's coming fast. Really encourage people to be saving up for the Feast of Tabernacles, planning to come be with us in eastern Tennessee, in the mountains of Tennessee, in the Great Smoky Mountains, and and worship the Lord and sing and praise God and worship God and study together and sit around the campfire and, and hopefully sing songs and, and get to know one another as brothers and sisters and as family and camping out in camps and campers and have a revival of eight days and enjoy our time together and time in the uh, woods and and and, and uh, fishing, hopefully, and different things. And the more people that come, the better. And you are welcome and invited. And you can check out more about the Feast of Tabernacles. The Bible says in Zech- uh, yeah, Zechariah 14, that when Jesus comes, all nations, all nations. It even says Egypt, which is a Gentile nation. All nations will be required, expected to come to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Tabernacles to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, at the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's very, very clear, very clear that the context is after the tribulation, after the wrath of God, after Jesus comes down and lands on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem and is to cleave into that the nations of the earth, even the Gentiles, even uh, even not just Israel, not just the Jews, not just the tribes of Israel, but even Egypt, will be required to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The same is true today. Same is true today. But the religion of man says, no, that's Old Testament. Throw it away. Rip it out of the Bible. Ignore it. Forget it. Don't learn from it. Don't do it. Don't obey God. That is what religion teaches you. But God says different. The scripture also says different. That we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And how can we call ourselves citizens? How can we claim that title? How can we claim who we are if we will not even obey the laws of our kingdom? I'm not old covenant at all. I'm all about new covenant. But these days represent new, there are foreshadowings of new covenant things. The 
Seventh day is all about worshiping Jesus, worshiping God, serving God, loving God, and glorifying Him. And so is the Feast of Tabernacles. Amen. I could just preach all day and all night, and maybe one of these days I would have that liberty. I do want that liberty. And I do want to have that liberty, but I want to exercise that liberty. One of these days, just preach the Word of God. Preach it. And not stop. For it's like fire shut up in my bones. And we should not quench the Spirit but let that fire rage and consume the sin and let the truth be spoken and go out into all the world unhindered, unfettered, unchained. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen. People go to Walmart and walk around two hours, three hours in Walmart, but they can't sit to services one hour or two hours. Always hurry up, hurry up. Let's get this over with. But one of these days, in the great tribulation day of the Lord God Almighty, come upon this earth and his spirit pour out upon all flesh, and his sons and his daughters will prophesy and see visions and dreams. And the word of God and the spirit of God will go unfettered, unhindered, unchained. Amen. Praise God because we no longer have the TV and the Internet and this and that and this and that. Hinders and stumbling block every way we look. That we will have only the scriptures. You won't be able to uh, pull me up on the Internet anymore. Thank God. Thank God you won't be able to pull me up on the Internet, find the website, find this broadcast, because then the people will have to go to the Scripture and onto their knees and seek out God for themselves, search it out for themselves, and cry out to the Almighty God, our Father, our Creator, and not religion, and not man. Amen. Come up, Lord Jesus. Bring your judgment upon the people. Bring your judgment upon the nations. Bring your judgment upon the wicked and the unclean. Separate us from them and help us, Lord, to know who we are in you, to know who we are in you, to proclaim who we are in you, and to realize we are special and we are to be clean, to come out from the unclean, to make ourselves separate and not fellowship with sin that we are the light of the world and we are not to fellowship with darkness, that we are to cast darkness away from us, cast away false friends, false people, false religion, false churches and false pastors, that we are to cast out all these things be a different, peculiar and separate people unto you. We pray for all this to be fulfilled and that we fulfill our call in you, Lord. Have mercy upon us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and consume out our iniquities. Purify our minds and our hearts and our lives, our wants, our pleasures, our will, and make it all yours, Father. Transform us, renew us, 
and make us yours, Father. Your property, do as you with us as you would, Lord. Change us, deliver us, Lord God. Transform us, empower us to fight the enemy, and let us become your mighty army upon the Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, pour out your spirit upon us, Father. Help us, Lord. Help your sons and your daughters to become the men and women they're supposed to be. The church of God without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Empower us and strengthen us, both in body and mind and soul. Help us and deliver us. Lord, I lift up to you, Brother Johnny, for him to fulfill his calling, be the man of God that he is called and born to be. Bless and anoint Lisa and Kiki and Mrs. Harris. God help us all, Lord. Deliver us from our enemies. Help AJ to accept his calling and who he is in you without fear, without hindrance, without worry. To claim who he is in you, to claim his title and to claim his office. And may no man, no woman hinder him and who he is in you. I pray, Lord, that you protect Pastor AJ, Miss Nin and Aiden in Korea, protect them, Lord, from the North Korean missiles. Protect them from the spies. Protect them from the heathen. Protect them from those that would murder and slaughter your people. Help them financially and with food and shelter and protection in the coming days, weeks, months ahead. Help the people of Australia and Nigeria and South Africa and across the world to find food and supply that is not marked. Help them, Lord, with provision. Even here in the United States, as the mark is taken over, that you, Lord, provide us provision that is not marked. Let us not compromise with the enemy. I ask you, Lord, to help this ministry more so to reach many more thousands of people with the truth about the mark, about the change in times and laws of the time zones, about 666, about the symbolisms, about the strong delusion in the sky, about the identity of the Antichrist, about who you are, Father, and about who we are, that we are your army and your people, and that we won't be afraid anymore, that we will take our stand that we'll take our place upon the wall and fulfill our callings, Lord. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be the fearful that will be cast out, but bold warriors. Help us live in peace as much as we can. Help us to put on the full armor of God. We ask, Lord, you will be done. Help us, Lord, as we go about the rest of our day, your day. Lord, Father, help us. Deliver us from evil. Forgive us our sins. Let us not cause into temptation. Help our families, our friends, our communities. Show us where to walk. Show us who to speak to. Help us to find somebody worthy to witness to. Help us, Lord, to reach the lost as well, even if they are not worthy. Help us to love people as you do but not compromise with the enemy. Deliver us from every false doctrine and every false thing. Deliver us from the lies and tactics of the enemy. 
Please reveal unto us the tactics of the enemy ahead of time. Show us where not to go, who not talk to. Protect us from evil. From all of our afflictions. Praise you, glorify you, and worship you, Father. Deliver us from vanity and false pride. But let us not quench the spirit who we are. May we never be ashamed of you. May we never be ashamed of who we are in you. May we never be ashamed of our calling. May we worship you in boldness, even in public. May we fall to the ground and worship you in public. May we wave our hands in public. May we worship you in public. May we praise you on our lips in public without fear, without shame, without embarrassment, being unhindered, being unfathered, unchained, coming out of bondage of people's eyes and my heart. May we worship you. May nothing quench the spirit of you in us. Let us shine our light upon the hill and into the world, and not hide our light under a bushel. May people see our good works in you, not for pride, but to show who you are in us, that they may see you in us. And when they look upon us, when they stand with us in the elevators, that they would sense a third person in the room, even a fourth in the midst of the fire. Let them feel your presence in us, in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise your holy name. Your will be done. In all this, Father, it's all yours that belongs to you. This is yours. These are yours. These concerns are yours. These people are yours. These sort of situations. It's all yours that belongs to you. It is yours. I leave it at your feet. It is yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I encourage you to please tune in next week. We're here every Saturday, starting at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. 2 o'clock Eastern Time, every Saturday. You can also listen to the archives, listen to other broadcasts. You can also click on TalkShoe.com to follow the broadcast and to be reminded when the broadcasts are going to come on, all that automatic system. So check it out over there on TalkShoe. You can also listen on the main website. Now, I do encourage you to, to go to the main website to learn more about what we teach, about what the scriptures actually say. And that website is isawthelightministries.com. isawthelightministries.com. Please be praying for the church in Korea every day. Please, two, three, four, five times a day, please pray for the church in Korea and uh, across the world across the world. We're an international ministry, so please do not forget your brothers and sisters in these other places. They need your prayers so very much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of God's seventh step. All of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.